Hello, and welcome to our nonprofit Coffee Talk podcast. Today, we are privileged to have Mandy Pierce and Marie Palacios of Funding for Good as our guests. And we're talking about the balance of power and understanding where nonprofit board roles end and staff roles began. Mandy and Marie bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to this topic and have a rich history and passion for helping nonprofits with their leadership development. We've had them as guest trainers on several education webinars, and they have shared many blogs, articles, and other resources with our community. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yes. Um, Okay. I am excited for this, uh, to have you here and to be discussing this topic with you. Nonprofit leadership is our focus topic this month, and I know you both have a lot of advice and insights to share with us. So let's just dive in. Starting out with what do you believe is the greatest leadership challenge for nonprofits right now? Well, there's quite a few, but I would say definitely finding people who are qualified and available to work is one, but really finding that balance. Everyone is stretched really thin, and we know that board governors take on a very important role at a volunteer level. So finding people who have the skill set, who are available, and who understand that role is just really a big ask for a lot of nonprofits right now. Excellent. All right, so so that's one of the challenges. Um, are there there are other challenges that 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 they have in their leadership with boards? Absolutely. One of the things that we see a lot is a lack of planning, and we see that in succession planning that doesn't exist or hasn't been discussed, which leads to a gap in leadership. Sometimes you may have a wonderful initial board chair, vice chair, just some really great people that want to help get things started. But then if there's not a plan in place for mentoring and bringing up the leadership that follows them, then there is often a gap. I'm actually experiencing that in in one of the organizations I volunteer with right now. And we're working to put some plans in place for for the future. So that doesn't happen again. Um, And Marie can talk a little bit more about succession planning and strategic planning to kind of help make sure that those things don't happen in your organization. Absolutely. So we know statistically that over half of the nonprofits in the U.S. currently do not have a written strategic plan, but simply having a well-crafted plan doubles your chances of of success. So why not have a strategic plan? And it's something that's just kind of defies logic. But we also know that even though we say 50 percent have one, 78 percent total are not using it to guide their organization whether it's because life has thrown a curveball or new people are coming on, regardless of the reason why, organizations are really not um, spending as much time and energy on the strategic planning um, process that needs to happen. And when this happens, it allows the organization to do quite a few things um, with leadership. Number one, it provides that sense of direction so board and staff can stay on that same page. Two, it helps reduce conflicts. If you've ever been in a meeting and someone says, oh, I have a great idea, and there's those internal groans, that strategic plan allows you to say, where does that align with our agreed upon plan and goals? And if it doesn't, let's consider parking that and revisiting it later. Um, It also lets us know, did we arrive? Were we successful? So lots of different reasons to have a strategic plan. But as Mandy was mentioning, succession planning, knowing our goals or knowing our barriers for the next three to five years is an important um, 
piece of knowledge as we're determining who's the best fit for our leadership team. So if we know we're going to be working on a capital campaign or doing broad outreach or rebranding because that's in the strategic plan. It's going to allow us to plan for new leadership for those coming years more intentionally. I like that. I like that. There's, I'm on a board right now where there's terms and there's there's not much staff, so that, so it's kind of volunteer um, run as well. And and there's all just that suffering from starts and stops. But I could see how that strategic plan really helps that continuity of the leadership and and uh, prevents that that wasted time when uh, new board members come on like you said you know it helps you recruit for what what is needed to to make progress on that strategic plan i like that can you speak a little bit more um i as i mentioned i'm on the board about the the roles and the leadership as it's different the same jointly between the board and the nonprofit leadership Staff? Sure. Yeah, so, so every organization. Sorry, I was just going to say, Marie, you a little bit about where the staff role ends and the board role begins or where the board role ends and the staff role begins. We, we find that there is often a lack of understanding between both the staff and the board on where that line is. And Marie has a really great litmus test for how to determine what that is. Absolutely. And this is going to look a little bit different for different organizations. Those who have fully governing boards, meaning you have staff handling the day-to-day, it's going to look a little bit different. But there's three basic questions that we can ask to determine, is this board or is this staff? So we know that board's job is primarily oversight and governance and that they should be, you know, doing lots of things to support. We know the board has several key functions. We can get in that in a minute. And the staff is supposed to be day-to-day management. So we encourage you to ask your team, number one, is the executive director or that executive staff member operating within the approved strategic plan, meaning they have their marching orders, they know what the goals are, and they have put implementation plans and processes in to make that happen. So that's number one. Are they operating within the bounds of that strategic plan? Number two, are they operating within the bounds of your approved budget? You've hopefully approved a budget that says this is what we have for marketing. This is what we have for programs. This is what we have for staffing. Are they operating within that or are they using grants to try to get around and say, well, I went and raised the money somewhere else so you don't have to worry about it? Because that can present some sustainability issues, even if the dollars are immediately secured through grants. The board and the strategic plan might not you know, quite align with those unexpected funds. And number three, is your executive director operating within um or reflecting the values of the organization. So do they reflect those core values in the way that they're interacting with staff, with the board and with the community? Are they a positive face for the organization? If you answered yes to all three of those, then it's usually safe to say that you can step back and use your board time to do those important governance functions or to support your staff in many other ways. But if you answered no to any of those, it's time for your human resources committee or your executive committee or whoever that oversight committee is of the ED to take a closer look and maybe schedule a conversation with the executive director. Yeah, I can I can see that um, that that's a, a discussion because you agreed on this plan. And if if the budget and the plan and, and you're working within them, then just let them work within there. But if that's Absolutely. off, it's definitely time for a discussion to make sure that everybody uh, understands. And if there's any changes or pivots that need to be happening, I, I mean, that's, that's a discussion that needs to happen with both of those as well, not one without the other. Excellent. 
Absolutely. And that's part of the communication that happens ongoing. Those quarterly reviews of the plans and board meetings being presented through the context of the strategic plan, those are all communication norms that should be put in place so that you're not experiencing those those curveballs at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of communication and, and all your work and interactions with nonprofit organizations, do you often see those communication issues between the board and staff or is that typically not a problem? It's more often than not a problem. So we really love it when we run into an, an organization that has great communication and seamless, you know, abilities to cross staff and board conversations, but uh, it's not often the case. So creating some communication norms and putting some best practices in place and educating both the staff and board on what those are is really important, whether it's talking about what are the best practices and norms for meetings, virtual meetings, in-person meetings, expectations of board communication with staff outside of meetings. There's a lot of different communication norms that need to be established. And a lot of people just haven't really thought through them until there becomes a problem. And then it's harder to correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And having having you be a consultant and a trainer in this area, I could see how that probably helps because if there's communication issues, it's probably stemming from one party or the other. So having one party or the other come in to try to fix it is probably difficult. Is that, is that true? Is that something that you you've seen and a benefit you've provided? Very. And Marie has this amazing ability to communicate with all groups and types of um, communication styles Um, And so, you know, it's been really beneficial to work with consensus building meetings like strategic planning or community planning and be able to get all the voices around the table and address some of those issues in a kind of neutral environment where you can kind of call people out without being a jerk about it and kind of address what might be a better way to handle it without making people feel bad and get everybody involved in the conversation. So we've found that to be really helpful, even more so than just working with people one-on-one when you work with the whole group. I don't know, Marie, what are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. So having a neutral facilitator always helps. It's amazing. You may have the skill set. You may have been doing this for two two decades, but your board will listen to someone who comes in from a a farther away zip code more than they will for you. And that's just the reality. It's a sad (laughs) reality, but it's true. But what we find is that communication norms are much easier if several things happen. One is education, as Mandy said. Education is, you know, knowing what the board role is, knowing what the staff role is. But then there's knowledge, which is how do we apply that education and that information? So what does it mean? When we say in the job description, we expect active participation. What does that mean for this board? So using, you know, that mentorship within your your organization to say, let's take that information and be able to use it and apply it. And then we said, what are the expectations? So if we're all clear on what we can expect from each other, then it's going to get us one step closer. And then finally, how do we hold each other accountable? So we have kind of four steps. And if we can say education, how do we apply it? How do we, you know, what do we expect of each other? And how do we hold each other accountable? That's going to open up channels for communication like nothing else. And for every group, that's going to be looking a little bit different. So we do strategy sessions. We encourage strategy sessions for the boards that say, how can we, maybe one focus question, what can we do to make our communication more effective? And before we get started on that, we have to address the current realities. 
And we, we say we're not assigning blame. We're not saying our executive director is terrible at doing this or your board never follows through. We're not going to um, attribute motives. We say, let's keep this out of the personal attack realm. And we say, what are, let's just acknowledge the realities without any kind of motives behind it. Just this is what we know to be true. Once we acknowledge those personal, those current realities, and we say, we know that communications are getting lost in email threads. We know X, Y, or Z. Then we can start strategizing about how do we overcome these barriers or maximize these opportunities, whether it's through a new communication style, establishing norms that you don't text non-relevant materials after work hours because it's really hard to turn off, you know, after you leave the office and then you see a supervisor or a board member send you something <laughs> you feel compelled to answer. So what are those norms? So again, lots of communication um, communication opportunities that can happen and be addressed during those strategy sessions. Excellent. You mentioned strategy strategy sessions. And is that the most common time when this conversation comes up or when a recipe for how we should move forward? Is, is that usually when you're working on the strategy or is that something that nonprofits uh, and their, their boards can can integrate in other ways or at well, other times? So a couple things we absolutely would want to see this integrated for in standalone meetings, but also board meetings. We know that 67% of board members in nonprofits are considered to be inactive. 67%. They're filling seats, but they're not necessarily filling them well. And when asked, you know, why are you not active? Many of them said, you know, lack of meaningful work. Well, you and I both know there is never a lack of meaningful work in all these amazing nonprofits, but the board members are not being engaged in a way that's meaningful for them or in a way that they can understand. So communication strategy sessions is one of the great ways to say what's important to the organization. How can you contribute? So we like to say, you know, what is the goal or what is the obstacle that we're trying to overcome? Like, what's the goal we want to achieve? What's the obstacle we want to come overcome? And how can you specifically individually help? And that allows them to say, this is meaningful. It, my participation is going to make a difference in this particular area. So in our Leading with Intent series, we cover um, less talk, more action board meetings. And we know for a fact that board members are frustrated with showing up and sitting there as people present reports that are just on paper that they could have read in their pajamas at their own time. So we really encourage boards to reevaluate their using their meeting times and say, let's talk more action. Can we spend 20 minutes of each meeting on a real actionable strategy session to say, here's the problem. How do we solve it? Or here's the goal. How do we achieve it? And that could be communication based. It could be resource and prospecting based. You can take any topic, but focus it with one question and get your board to contribute at their um, individual levels and then at the group level. I love that. I could see how that'll work. And especially with with the, the strategic goals and what's in mind um, to frame that in so that it's not, oh, here's a random something else that would be meaningful to me. Yeah. But yet again, not part of the plan of, of what you have already set out. So yes, meetings tend to focus on what we need to do versus the why. And we say we need you to sell 10 raffle tickets. And it's like, why? Well, because we need to make money. Well, what if I could make you more money without selling those 10 raffle tickets? So we understand that cookie cutter responses and cookie cutter tasks is not meaningful for all board members, nor is it the best use of their skills and, and expertise and contacts. So we usually encourage that communication 
um, change to happen and say, what's the goal? What's the why of this task? Maybe that task is no longer relevant and there's a different strategy to get there. But let's start with the why. Then let's start with the how. And then let's start with the who's going to implement it. I like that. I like that. The why, the how, and then who. I mean, you gave that example of, of um, fundraising. And, and I could see that, you know, people bring different skills to the table, different networks, all of that. So really starting with the, the why can, can align people uh, where their strengths and superpowers are. Um, but in all of this, that knowing your role, staying in your lane um, with that dynamic of the nonprofit leadership and the board, getting alignment, uh, one of the key areas that comes up is, is fundraising and, and what is the board's role and support of the in the organization. Can you share some insight on how to get that started on the right foot and also how to make adjustments on how things are working already with the board? So one of the things we like to talk about is, <clears throat> you know, you need to have well-established roles and responsibilities in writing, job descriptions, if you will, for your board the leadership positions on your board, as well as your board members at large. One of those roles that should be in every description is giving at a leadership level. And we, we say giving, we mean financial. I know a lot of people like to say, oh, I give of my talents and oh, I give of my time. And that's great. But we also want your treasures. <laughs> you know, we, we need money. And so there should be an expectation that's established. And that's the very, very first way the board members should all be committed to and giving at 100% because even nonprofit foundations will ask you in their grant applications what percentage of your board give financially, and they're expecting you to say 100% because um, if they're not contributing from a board level, why should anyone else participate in supporting your organization financially? That's the first place. And then there are lots of other ways that the board can get involved in fundraising, and we, <clears throat> we have a three-hour webinar we teach on that that basically covers everything from starting here at the ground level at, at number one, I'm giving financially myself and then moving all the way up to level 10 and saying, I'm giving, I'm opening doors, I'm writing thank you notes, I'm making thank you phone calls, I'm participating in asks, um, you know, like all the different things that a board member could do. And you want to figure out how to move people up from each level, depending on where they are on that scale. And there's a lot of ways to do that. I think one of the biggest things we talk about in terms of terminology is instead of calling it fundraising, calling it resource development is less scary for a lot of people. When you ask someone to fundraise, they're like, I don't want to ask people for money. I'm not comfortable asking people for money. But the second you say, we need ambassadors for resource development, we need you to open doors for us. Can you introduce us to someone? Can you just share with me who you think might be a good prospect, right? That is in and of itself fundraising. Fundraising doesn't necessarily mean bringing in dollars. It can be bringing in resources, time, space, product. There's a lot of different things that can help an organization build their capacity. And we have to educate board members on what those are and the different terminology to make them comfortable being ambassadors for us. And <clears throat> so that's kind of where we like to start with fundraising is like making it less scary and telling people there's a whole bunch of ways you can get involved in this. It's not just this one thing that you've always been you know, programmed to think as far as what you have to do to be excellent resource development person. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cause 
because people do have one thing in mind and and it's scary. It's scary even if you're good at, well, I don't know. But <laughs> obviously you could tell that it's scary for me, right? <laughs> but, but I've been uh, and I've, I've heard some of the, the tips that, that you probably share in your webinar and, and other things about how, how you could even get some board members and other people involved in the gratitude or the thank you or the updates. And especially as you look at, a variety of boards members uh, and getting the people you serve on your board who may have varying uh, degrees of connections or not, or, you know, resources or not, but uh, making it less scary. I love that. I, I love how, how uh, putting that as a plan. And also one of the things that, that I see people get excited about is that agreement you mentioned in terms of what expectations, setting the expectations and then, so speak to this a little bit. That's always good if you could roll back time. <laughs> so how do you see us, you know, how do you see people doing that when, hey, I already have a, a bunch of board members unlimited <clears throat> terms and they, they're they just happy just sitting there and putting it on their resume that they're a board member and doing nothing. <laughs> so I have an example. It's a real life example. And it was from middle school. Um, one of my friends was a North Carolina state champion basketball player. And she came to our small school and her dad said, we're starting a basketball club. All of us signed up enthusiastic, never having held a basketball before thinking this is going to be amazing. We love the idea of basketball. We love this particular friend. So we joined the basketball club. Um, a week later, he shows up with uniforms and says, congratulations, you're now a competitive team. And here's where the free throw line is. And this is out of bounds and you can't, travel with the ball and he had to start at the beginning well our first non-club practice included uh drills called like gut busters that should tell you what it felt like and many of us said we didn't sign up for this you know we absolutely did not sign up for gut busters and sweat and just pain so he had a moment with us after that first practice and said you know what we started out as a club and i understand that and i respect that and have a love for basketball. So if you would still like to participate at a club level, you're welcome to come in for our scrimmages. We'll still have some interactive time, but we've got a team now and it's going to require this commitment, this many days a week, this type of stuff. And we don't want to lose you, but we want to engage you at the level you can. So you can stay in the intramural or you can join us as we form a competitive team. And I would argue that that's the same thing that nonprofits need to do when they're looking at establishing expectations. No one wants to play on a losing team. We all want to be on a part of a winning team. And if we look around and people are not holding up their end and that 10% are doing 90% of the work, it defeats the morale. It defeats productivity. It's everything just goes um, into a negative tailspin. So being able to say, we want a winning team, we want a winning mission. And to do that, we acknowledge that we need to take ownership. And that just because we're a governing board, that is not a license to say we're not an active board. No, we don't have to answer the phone and clean the toilets probably. But it still means we should be actively, we are governing using our leadership time, but we are also volunteering to support those other things. So when you reestablish those expectations, you're not going to say, get it, get on board or get out. You're going to say, we appreciate your time. We call it blessing and releasing. So you bless them for the work that they've done and say, we acknowledge the expectations have changed as might have your situations. Would you like to continue on this journey or would you like to engage in a way that better fits your passions and availability? And that gives the, them the chance to decide. So then you're left with board members who've said, I've stepped up or I've stepped back and will engage in a different way. So bless and release, but establish those expectations if you want to build that A-list board. 
And we talk about that in that leading with intent tr- program at detail because it's hard. Right. And yeah. just because you bless and release someone from the board doesn't mean they can't serve as a volunteer in another capacity, right? You're just opening up a seat for someone who has the current desire to do all the things board members have to do. There's lots of other ways to be- stay engaged with an organization yeah. if you want that person to stay engaged. Absolutely. And I mean, we have three legal ethical roles as board members. We have three fiduciary duties that are non-negotiable. We've got duty of care, duty of loyalty, duty of obedience. But then we have core functions that are recognized as best practice. And that is planning and oversight, which includes that strategic planning, keeping people on task. It's going to be that resource development, which Mandy's already talked about. Um, And it's going to be that governance, that policy procedure overseeing your executive director. So we have you know, those three areas that are absolute non-negotiable functions of the board, they may look different from organization to organization, depending on who you've hired, how robust your staff team is or how robust your board team is. But at the end of the day, we evaluate where we are as an organization, establish those expectations. And it's the board's job to hold the board accountable, not the executive directors. We taught a program this past week. We had 600 people on our training and it was all about board development. 63% of participants were executive directors looking for ways to figure out how to engage and hold their board accountable. Only 23% or so were said they were seasoned board members. We had all kinds of variety, but it was the executive directors who were desperate to say, I'm taking time out of my day to figure out how to hold my board accountable. That is not the executive director's job. And it's a delicate balance to have to hold people accountable who are also your, your bosses. And they're volunteers. So you feel like they're looking at you saying, you're getting paid for this. We're volunteers. Well, that's not the way it always works. And we have another analogy we can share, but I don't know what time allows. So um, so this whole conversation is why we decided to establish a webinar series called Nonprofit Leadership Development Leading with Intent. And it's a 12 part series that dives deep into most of the topics we're talking about today. So I'm sure that those will be in the notes for this and people can learn more about it. But, you know, there is such a need that we created an entire training series around this very thing. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. I definitely feel, uh, have heard that the challenges every time you bring up board relationships or anything and even grant trainings, you could just see everybody. Oh yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) that's that's an issue. And and then they come up out, do you have anything? This is going to be so great that you, you have put all of that together. You've seen these problems, real world, Mm -hmm. you have real examples. Um, yeah. So if you have another analogy to share, jump in and, or (laughs) (laughs) those are so helpful. Well, one of the biggest complaints or c- points of conflict we hear is that board members will use the cop out. We're, we're just volunteers or staff members will get, make that excuse for them and say, I need to take this on my shoulders because they are just volunteers. And the best real life example I can give is my sister. My younger sister has always had a passion for children in foster care. Even as a teenager, that's where she volunteered her time. She tutored. She just did, she went to their Christmas parties, did the backpack program with the local group homes. And that's her passion. As she got older and got married, her husband also shared that passion. They looked at foster situations and foster stuff. And that requires a bigger commitment than just volunteering. Right. You go through trainings. You have temporary custody of children. Well, now they have adopted in addition to their three biological children. They have adopted through DSS seven children now. There are a lot of responsibilities that come. They have legal responsibilities, ethical responsibilities with those children. They did not have to adopt those children. They did so out of passion and commitment for those who needed a home. Now, 
I would argue that board positions are exactly the same. There is a legal and ethical role and responsibility to the organization you serve. There are many different ways that you can choose to engage, but you should absolutely not step up and take a board seat unless you're willing to take on those responsibilities that accompany it. You can go to those fun parties. You can attend the events. You can be the check-in person at the annual fundraiser. You can sit on an action team and a subcommittee and just focus on a particular area of interest and not be beholden to the legal and ethical roles and responsibilities. But the moment you say yes to a board position, you've adopted that baby and you got to take the good and the bad and you are responsible for it so that you can nurture it and grow it so that it can continue to move forward. And that's the best thing I can tell people is quit making excuses. You either step up and accept this responsibility, but you have to understand the responsibility. So before one adopts, they go through lots of trainings and clearances and things like that. The same should be happening at the board level. We should be educating people about what does it mean? It's not that, oh, you only have to do this or you just have to show up to meetings. We need to put it out on the table and say, it's not always going to be pretty, but it is also rewarding. And that's where we need to start is being honest with ourselves on what we need and what it's going to take and letting people that know that we need people who are willing to take on that challenge. That. I can't even tell you enough how, how, how much that's resonating with me as I'm thinking through, uh, you know, the organization I, I'm with. We just are going through, um, you know, board recruitment and, and you have some people that you're talking to and, and you hear that it's, well, there's just this many meetings and is the time commitment really this or, and, and you, you're selling it or some people may sell it and, and then why should you be surprised when you sold it as not that time intensive and then the person is not given that much time, right? <laughs> so that setting expectations, do you, do you see that having uh, maybe a, a document outline, what, however specific you can get with expectations from board members that they sign uh, and recommit, like you said, or sign at the beginning makes life a lot easier afterwards. Because yes. is that is that we what you're do, seeing? Yeah. So we have uh, we encourage people to establish a board commitment that where they're signing. This is my job description. I understand what it is, and I agree to it. And then we also have um, the oh, Marie, what's the one called where we ask people what they're interested in? Just went out of my head. How they're interested in engage engagement form, the board engagement form where we say here, here's a lot of ways you could participate as a board member, which ones are you most interested in? You know, whether it's, we have five different events, we need you to volunteer at two, which two are you most interested in? Or here's a couple of programs you could volunteer in, which ones are most passionate for you? And so we try to get a lot of that information, but before they even come on the board, we're interviewing them, we're having them fill out an application, we're presenting it to the board, we're vetting them to make sure they are a good fit, that they have the time commitment to actually participate the way that they need to. And, you know, it, it's a process kind of like a job interview. You don't get it just because you put an application in. You have to be the best fit. And you might be the best fit next year, but you might not be the best fit this year, right? So, um, yeah, I, I go through that education process with boards that I serve on as well. I'm like, okay, who do we need? And people don't know. Well, we don't know what we need on the board right now. We just need people. No, that's not the right answer. Let's talk about that some more. Yeah. Most boards stick with orientation and orientation is just a quick overview. It's usually a one-time event or something short and sweet. Onboarding, intentional onboarding involves that education <laughs> and that knowledge and the experience. You know, here's what, here's what we know you need to do. Here's how you do it. And then, you know, let's let you do it and experience it for yourself. So 
you know, part of this building a positive dynamic is engaging the executive director and engaging the board in these onboarding experiences so they get to understand the needs of the organization, the ways that they can use their skill sets to to serve it and just build a positive rapport. I mean, when we don't like the people we work with, it's really hard to be productive. And if we don't know them, it's hard to like them. So really coming up with ways to build those connections, um, understanding that the board as a unit, the collective board has the power over the executive director, not a particular individual um, is something to remember as well. I mean, it's very easy for executive directors to get pulled in lots of different directions from different board members who are well-intentioned, but maybe ill-informed. And we know that if we can get these expectations, we educate the board and say, if you have an issue with the executive director, here's the proper channel for you as a board member to address those concerns. We don't all go and inundate that person because it's like getting pulled in lots of different directions and not knowing where to go. But again, communication is everything and knowing what's expected and and being willing to do those things is just so very important at both the board and the staff level. Oh, wow. I could... As we're, as we're talking, I totally can see you. a reason why there's so many sections in your upcoming <laughs> training on this. There's there's so much there and ties to communication. I was going to ask, um, but you touched on it just there about uh, problems with the executive director or uh, perceived problems. In your experience, as you come in on those types of scenarios, are there things that really are irreconcilable or they they just like get pulled in so many directions and a reset can solve it? Um, or, or do you see that uh, a lot of times it's a, not a fit for the person? So as someone who spent over a decade, sorry. I, was just saying, I think it varies wildly. I think that all the answers that you gave could be depending on the situation. Like every situation is so unique. There's just, there's, I don't really see a norm there. I think it really depends on, it could be fixable depending on who's on your board with one organization and another organization. It might not be fixable because who's on your board. And then it might be fixable because the ED is willing to be flexible and compromise and has great communication skills in one place and the exact opposite in another. So I think it, there's just so many variables to that. It's hard to give a, a broad answer that really applies to a lot of situations. Absolutely. I was going to say, as someone who served as an executive director for a decade, it, you can take a horse to water, lead a horse to water. You can't force them to drink. So you may have the skills and the tools to resolve the issue on one end of the table, on one side of the table and the other not be willing. So as Mandy perfectly summed it up, that it's not always possible. But we do believe that using some of the skills and you know understanding your role and walking through some of these intentional leadership steps will give the tools um, so that people can resolve those conflicts more easily. Uh, this has been this has been so helpful. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, I want to go in, and I, maybe I, I'm I'll I'll take your class <laughs> because there's so many elements to this that that need more time. So I really appreciate you touching on on different things, uh, the highlights here, and giving giving our listeners a taste of that, um, and and helping our community know that there's a lot to learning to lead with intent. And and you've called out several resources. I want everybody to know that we'll put those in the show notes um, that you have uh, on this topic and related topics. So we'll make sure to include links as well as your website and contact information. And I just, like I mentioned, so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to touch on some of these things and let 
let us know what, what else you have available. But do you have any other final thoughts or advice to, to leave our listeners with? Just continue learning and growing for good because, I mean, it's really all you can do. There's always new things to learn and there's always um, <clears throat> new ways to do things, right? Even if you've done something that's worked for you for a long time, there's always new ways to learn better best practices and uh, share those with other people in your organization. Excellent. Marie, do you have anything? I ditto what Mandy just said. Um, I, I just want to remind people that when it's easy to get discouraged, but nonprofits fill such a vital role in our community and leaders who have taken the time out of their busy schedules to govern, whether it be at the executive director level or manage at an executive director level or work on a board are so very needed. So just encourage all of those leaders to step back and say, you know, it's not perfect. Nonprofits get messy. They get complicated. But at the end of the day, the mission is so valuable and that we appreciate all the work that these nonprofit leaders are doing. And we're here to help. We know that you're here to help. And we hope that the resources you provide are going to be really useful for many of those leaders who just need a little bit of extra support during these difficult times. Yes. Thank you. Okay, that's a wrap. If you learned something from today's Nonprofit Coffee Talk podcast, please share it with others who might enjoy and benefit from it as well. We look forward to connecting in future webinars, podcasts, and community discussion platform, our Compass community. And just in case you missed it, we recently announced a new software solution for nonprofits called Nonprofit Core. It manages your organization's core activities, including accounting, CRM, fundraising. And if that sounds interesting to you, uh, head to foundant.com to learn more. As Marie said, we wish you all the best success. Your missions are important and thank you for all you do.